Welcome to All Things Billy, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Anthony Judasissi. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, I wish I knew what the episode numbers were. I forget every time I finish one and I have to go back and review the last one. But I think we're somewhere around 18 or 19 for this season, which would put us <clears throat> close to 45 uh, total episodes since the podcast started uh, January 2nd or 3rd of this year. So six months. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, you know, with Billy the Kid, there's kind of a limit <laughs> to what you can talk about. Like, I don't think you could do a five-day-a-week radio show for an hour or two on Billy the Kid because you'd just run out of information at some point. But uh, there's more to talk about, and we're going to do that today. And today, I am going to bring you uh, some uh, very revealing and probably some, uh, for many of you, some very shocking behind the scenes information from my new film, The Final Trial of Billy the Kid. Uh, and uh, as I promised, there would be more things coming, and this is one of them. But uh, before we get to that, I want to thank all those folks that have gone and streamed the film. Really appreciate you. The reviews uh, uh, overall have been uh, really positive. And uh, I, I'm going to read you a couple of them uh, that just came in. Well, I just finished watching the movie. This is a really great concept you have developed here. It's extra challenging, I think, to write a script that's so dialogue-centric as this one. Well done. Very good writing. The actors who impress me most are the two lawyers. That would be Carvin Aldean and, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> and I already forgot the other attorney's name played by Royd McCargish. Um, it'll come to me. Uh, Henry Walstead. Thanks. You. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, the two lawyers and Garrett portrayed by Kelly Kidd. And today is Kelly's birthday. I think he's 29. So happy birthday, uh, Kelly. I especially love the music he chose for the final scene that was moving. And of course, the acoustic piece at the beginning and the end. Very engaging story from start to finish. Believable ending, too, in terms of the judge's comments. Kimberly. So thank you. That's Yukon Kim. And uh, really appreciate the uh, feedback on that. Um, the film has been reviewed on Amazon. Few right there. Uh, so far, at least. <laughs> it won't hold forever. But so far, all five out of five stars. This one by Tass. Clearly well-researched. The film brought otherwise little-known facts to life. Serious, passionate, and humorous. It kept my attention from start to finish. Especially convincing and charming was attorney Carvin Aldean played by Ryan Knudsen, who won all arguments with hard facts and sharp wit. The other cast members were quite good, but Aldean stole the show. Bravo, bravo to Ryan Knudsen. Uh, he's uh, one of my favorite actors, and he's acted in two of my films. The other one, which also just came out, is 30 Seconds in Hell, where he portrays Doc Holliday, uh, resurrected from the dead to uh, see if he can avoid fighting yet again. Gunfight at the OK Corral. You can find that on Amazon too. Here's one from uh, Karen Lynch. I really felt like I was in the courtroom. The scenes were intense at times. I learned new info about Pat Garrett and Billy. The actors were great. It has settled my thoughts about what really happened to Billy. All right. That one, thank you so much for that, Karen. Here's one by Brad. Great courtroom drama. I've been following Michael's YouTube channel ever since he started is all things Billy podcast. Needless to say, I was really looking forward to this movie. It did not disappoint. If you're a fan of Billy the Kid, I highly recommend this informative and highly entertaining drama. 
Thanks, Brad. I appreciate that. Well, I'm not going to go ahead and read you all the reviews, but there's quite a few. And uh, so far, <laughs> we're, uh, I don't know, five days into the release or so, uh, all uh, very, po- most very positive. And so thank you. You, I know not everybody's going to love the film. Uh, I know not everybody's going to love the outcome. Uh, but uh, it's nice to get a good start here. And the early indications are that people are enjoying the film. So if you haven't watched it, my question is, why not? <laughs> you got to go watch it. Uh, it it's uh, an hour and 22 minutes. So, you know, by the time you uh, get your popcorn and settle in and, you know, take a break for the restroom, you got an hour and a half of your life to uh, be entertained and uh, and and learn something maybe as well. Uh, so all you need to do, go to Amazon.com. Search for the final trial of Billy the Kid. You can rent or buy it uh, right now. If you're worldwide, outside of the U.S., ultimately Amazon will be distributing to 130 countries or so, um, but uh, not yet. And I don't know when. So go to Vimeo.com, V-I-M-E-O. And you can watch it anywhere in the world. You can uh, rent or purchase the film. And uh, I will greatly appreciate it. Love to hear your feedback. Whether you agree, disagree, love it, hate it, still good things to hear. So please go ahead and do that. Now, when we come back, I'm going to take you from the initial genesis of the film all the way through the film that you have seen, many of you have seen on your screen And I'm going to tell you an important reason, very eye-opening reason, maybe shocking to some of you, reason why you didn't see a real trial recorded with real people, not actors. For the first time anywhere, the truth will be revealed, and that'll all be coming up after this. We are back on All Things Billy. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, if you're listening on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be, um, you can subscribe. No cost to do that. And then every uh, time there's a new episode, sometimes they're a day apart, sometimes a week apart, uh, the uh, podcast will automatically be downloaded and you'll get a notification. And that just uh, how to do that depends on your podcast provider. The vast majority of people listen on YouTube where we post every episode. And I thank you for doing that. Uh, The subscriber base has been growing, closing in on 900 now. So thank you all. I really, uh, really appreciate you. And uh, and most people are, even when they're (laughs) not in agreement with what I'm saying, are pretty nice. Some people, eh, they're they're not that nice, but that's what you get when you're in the public eye. Okay. So I knew this was coming. I knew this would happen. I didn't intend for it to happen, but I knew it would. And I was waiting for it to happen so that I could do this specific podcast. I've gotten a handful of messages, emails, kind of back channel communication about the film that said, I thought we were going to see a real trial with real detectives, real historians, real authors, and you were just going to film this real trial and then show it to us, much like you would, you know, see uh, 
although I didn't watch the uh, the uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing, like like you were going to see a real trial with people and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And why didn't we get that? And today, I'm going to reveal to you why you did not get that. But first, I'm going to take you back to 2019, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, 2019. To, uh, maybe 2018, December, the uh, world premiere of In Their Own Words, Billy the Kid in the Lincoln County War in Fort Sumner, New Mexico. And that was my is my first film. By the way, if you want, you can watch that film now for free on Zumo, X-U-M-O dot TV. Um, if you go to my webpage, mankindpro.com, the links are right there. You click on the Zumo link next to the trailer, and it'll take you right there. You can watch it for free. Um, and it's actually doing really, really well on that channel. Although it, the film has certainly got its technical challenges, but and I, I get all that. I understand. Okay. So we were at the premiere of the film. We premiered it for the cast and crew. We had a number of people from Fort Sumner come down. That was the first time anywhere that people had seen it. And in attendance were Kelly Kidd, who portrayed Pat Garrett in that film, and Daniel Cruz, who portrayed Billy the Kid. There were certainly other cast members, but those two gentlemen I pulled aside at the end of it. And uh, as you know, other people were signing autographs and talking, I said, hey guys, I gotta ask you a question. I got this idea. And the idea is that we would hold a trial to figure out what happened to Billy. And and I, that's as far as I got. And Kelly Kidd said, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't even tell you what it is. And he goes, no, I know, where, I know where you're going. I'm in. And Daniel Cruz looked at Kelly and thought, okay, well, can I at least hear what he's talking about before I commit? And I told him, I said, I, I'd like to hold a trial. And I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but you guys would portray Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Somebody would portray Brushy Bill, John Miller, uh, maybe some other, uh, you know, eyewitnesses to history. And they both said, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I want to do this. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Okay. And, and that was as far as the conversation went at that time. I pitched the idea to the Discovery Network. Uh, and they turned it down. They turned down. They turned out every idea I ever pitched them, probably eight or nine different things, um, some of which I may still make. But they turned it down, and I didn't really do anything with it. I just kind of left it there. But my initial concept of how this thing would work was that I I wanted these actors to uh, be able to portray the real people that would be involved in this decision. What happened to Billy the Kid? Did Garrett kill him? Did he get, did Brushy get away? Did Miller disappear, uh, you know, and show up in Las Vegas married with a bullet wound? And so my thought at that point was, well, what we'll do is I will give the uh, actors their, uh, not a script, but I'll give them the information they can talk about. So they'll read it, they'll understand it, they'll know it. And I will allow them to talk about that. So whenever an attorney gets them on the stand, then the attorney can ask a question. They can answer from that base of knowledge. And if they go outside of that, if they kind of went 
you know, rogue, is that what they call it? <laughs> they went rogue. Then the other attorney would understand, oh, you're not allowed to talk like that's made up. That doesn't exist. And they would object. And then the judge would, you know, make a ruling on that. So I thought that that would be kind of a decent way to marry a live trial, real attorneys, with the the people that, like representations of the people that actually this stuff happened to. But again, it never really went further than that. And so I just left it. Then COVID hit, and in November of 2020, uh, Royd McCargish, who portrays the attorney Henry Wallstead, Brushy's attorney, uh, and is also the executive producer and built the courtroom set. He didn't build the whole courtroom, but he built the judge's desk, the uh, witness stand, and the jury box. Um, he, myself, and Carrie Brooks, who's the cinematographer, got in my truck one I think it was a Saturday or maybe a Friday night, and we hit the road and started interviewing people for a documentary that I intended to call Digging Billy. And I've talked a lot about this. And we interviewed Steve Cedarwall, author David Thomas, uh, David Bailey, former mayor of Fort Sumner, Gerald Klein, city councilman, um, uh, the late uh, Gary Graves, former sheriff of DeBaca County, um, Bill Richardson. And so the, the documentary was taking shape and it had all these interviews, which I still have. Some of you may have seen some small pieces here on the channel. And as I, you know, I look at this stuff, like I, I'm not a guy, Hey, this is just my, this is the way I am. So I'm not going to apologize, but I'm not a guy that likes to have a meticulous plan down to the last detail and go, we're going to do this. And then we're going to spend seven seconds on this and do the other thing. And I think in a documentary, you've got to find the story along the way. And as we got into it, I thought, okay, well, this might be a decent documentary, but I don't know that it's going to break any new ground. And I don't know that it's going to be visually all that appealing or exciting or whatever. And so I wonder what I could do to make it more engaging rather than, you know, a few pictures with the Ken Burns effect where the you know, the camera seems to move along the still photo and then cut back to interviews and have the deep voiced announcer voicing over the most important parts of the film. <laughs> so that's when this idea of the trial came back to me. And that's when I thought, well, if we film this trial, I could cut these bits up and put them into the documentary at the points where it would make sense. So somebody's talking about um, uh, Garrett uh, going to Fort Sumner that night, right? The night of July 14th and hiding out in the peach orchard. Well, then you'd cut to the stand of Pat Garrett testifying that he and Poe and McKinney, you know, rode into Fort Sumner after receiving an anonymous tip from somebody at the Wilcox Brazil Ranch or whatever it might be. And so from that standpoint, you'd, you'd have the interviews of the real people talking about real events, and then you'd have this recreation of, the, uh, of their testimony. And that's the way a number of these historical uh, document documentaries are done. And so I thought, okay, that, I think that's better. I, I like that idea. So I started thinking about it, 
And, uh, and then I, I talked to Roy McCargish and I said, you know, this trial thing kind of unto itself would be really fascinating if it were a real trial. And it was over a year ago that I, I think it was, yeah, it definitely was uh, that I came here on YouTube and one of these videos and said, Hey, we can solve this thing. We can take whatever remaining evidence is out there and we can put it in front of, you know, a judge and attorneys and, and we could figure this out. There certainly have been cases solved with less. And, uh, that, uh, video really, uh, got a lot of feedback and a lot of views, but it really sparked the interest of a lot of people, good and bad people that said I was an idiot, uh, people that said that other people were idiots. <laughs> and in that moment, I thought, well, wait a minute, let's figure out a way to have a real trial. And this will be, it might be part of the documentary, but probably be something totally separate. And let's figure out how to make that and release it. And so that's where the genesis for the final trial of Billy the Kid started. There are, as you can imagine, it's well over a year before you make the film and you finally get it released and people can watch it. And there were a number of uh, hurdles, uh, but not the ones that I expected. The hurdles that I expected never really appeared. And the ones I didn't smacked me right in the face. And I'm going to tell you about those after this. We're back. So you're going to make a movie. One of the first things you have to figure out, especially if it's going to be a, a real or pseudo real trial. So there's no script or anything. You don't need anybody to write it, but you need a director to figure out how you're going to shoot it, what you're going to highlight. You needed an executive or a producer or an executive producer to oversee the business end. You need a cinematographer to actually film it. And you need locations. You need a place to make a trial film. And my first thought, and I still wish it, you know, in some way it could have been pulled off. But my first thought was, well, where would it be more fitting to film this than the old Murphy Dolan store, the courthouse in Lincoln. And if you've never been there on the second floor is the preserved courtroom. I don't know if it looks exactly the way it did a hundred years ago, but, but it's a, you know, a small town country courtroom. And because we were not expecting, to, well, we, we were expecting to have a little bit of an audience, but it would have been very limited, basically invited uh, guests to sit in the audience. It would have been big enough to hold our three tables for Garrett, Brushy, and Miller and their attorneys. It would have had the judge's table. There's no big judge's stand. It would have had a witness chair. And then we would have had, you know, 10 or 15 chairs for a, uh, uh, what do you call it? I'm sorry, a <laughs> an audience. And so I went to work on trying to secure the <laughs> courthouse in Lincoln and I failed miserably. Now, there were changes of personnel down there, some people in charge, some people temporarily in charge, uh, some people that returned emails and some people that ignored them. It was kind of a nightmare working with the state. I think this film would have been better served had it been made there. 
but it took six months to finally get an answer. Well, not even to get an answer to finally get somebody that said, okay, here are the things you have to do and here's what it will cost. And the costs were ridiculously astronomical. And you can only film in Lincoln. People often ask, well, how come, you know, they never made a Billy the Kid movie in Lincoln. And we've talked about this before. You can only film on days when the monument is closed and that's Tuesday and Wednesday. And if not, you can only film during hours the monument is closed. So it's open from what, eight to five. So you can't film all day. You can start dressing the set at night. If you got to cover the street up with dirt to make it look old, you got to bring in dump trucks of dirt and then you film overnight. So there's no daytime scenes and then you got to have it all cleaned up by the next morning. So it's virtually impossible. Now I know people say, well, money makes anything possible. Probably so. I mean, if you had a million or 2 million or whatever number of million dollars, the state would reroute traffic on uh, 70 to the South and have you come out through Rodoso. But um, I don't think people would be very happy. And I think it would cost a ton. We certainly didn't have that kind of money. So the, the, the two prong problem with filming in Lincoln was first, it was ridiculously expensive. It was thousands and thousands of dollars for a two day permit for a damage and deposit fee to pay a monument employee, some ridiculous hourly rate, you know, that they would never earn otherwise, but we would have to pay them just so they could be present there. Uh, a, a cleaning and damage, non-refundable cleaning and damage deposit. Like it was just, it was so insane. I just laughed it off and deleted the email. Like there's no way that a small indie film would be able to afford that. But it took six months to get there. And that was just hugely frustrating. We looked at the DeBaca County Courthouse in Fort Sumner, another very fitting site. And uh, the court house is owned by the county, but the courtroom belongs to the judge. And so the circuit judge that, uh, you know, that uses that uh, courtroom has to approve you doing it and has to approve the time when you do it. And that was another set of red tape and hoops that we tried to jump through because it's a nice courtroom and it's right just exactly where you would expect, you know, a trial like this to take place. And we couldn't work it out. Just couldn't get anybody to answer. You know, the, I understand that, uh, you know, the film business is big to New Mexico, but the indie film business, nobody really cares. Very, very few people anyway, really care to, to invest, you know, any time or energy into helping indie films grow. So that was a no. In uh, Albuquerque, there's the old courtroom. I think it's on Gold Ave. And that's where they filmed Better Call Saul. And so we couldn't get that because Better Call Saul just books it for six months. And this was the point where um, uh, Saul, gosh, his name escapes me right now, um, but uh, where he, uh, the actor uh, uh, had a heart attack. And so they were just kind of sitting there waiting, not knowing. And eventually they said, look, you can film there if we're not filming, but we're not going to know until five or six days before whether we're going to film that day or not. And so, again, you, you can't run a production like that. It's not like we were all just sitting here locally waiting for somebody to tell us when to film. We had actors coming in from out of state. Um, you know, all those things have to be coordinated. And so that was a no-go. Finally, finally, 
Royd McCargish finds the Amy Beale High School, which used to be the old Bernalillo County Courthouse, and the second floor is this beautiful old preserved courtroom, which you see in the film. And it took, you know, a total of eight months to finally find a location where we could film, and that aesthetically looked pleasing enough. Okay, so now you've got a place to film. You've got a budget. Now you start uh, this idea of, hey, we're going to put this thing together. And the concept I came up with, I thought would have worked wonderfully. And here was the concept. I wrote to the New Mexico Bar Association and I said, hey, I'm doing this film. It's, you know, based on New Mexico history. Do you, can you direct me to any attorneys that might even have any sort of interest in this kind of thing? Is there, is there any way to get in touch with them? Like, how would I even figure that out? I got an email back within an hour. And it was from the, uh, it was from someone at the Bar Association that said, we have a historic or historical committee in the New Mexico Bar. In other words, we have attorneys that are part of this committee, this group of attorneys that, you know, look at, uh, study uh, historical events in the state. And I can think of, and they named two or three people right off the bat that would probably love to do this. And they copied them all in. Essentially within a week, I had uh, three attorneys on board that had volunteered their time, no pay to try this case. One attorney for Pat Garrett, one attorney for Brushy Bill, one attorney for John Miller. Then the attorneys, as a, you know, we communicated via email, they said, hey, you, what you really want to do here is you want to find a, uh, a retired judge because that's somebody that's going to be able to, you know, free themselves up to do this. But you want a federal judge, right? Because this is New Mexico history, but it's also Texas history with Heiko, Texas. And it's also Arizona history with uh, John Miller, who, you know, died and is buried in Prescott. And so you want a federal judge to to have that, uh, that broader view of the law and how it would apply in this case. And then they said, do you know, do you want a jury trial? And that's really problematic. You have to understand that this was in the middle of COVID, not just the conception and the pre-production on the film, but the actual filming was September of 2021, still in the middle of COVID, uh, some lockdowns, uh, vaccine mandates, et cetera. And we followed all those protocols on set. So the problem when you get too many people, you get 12 jurors in there, is that you can't film this. I, maybe you could in one day. I can't see how you could have. But you you have a continuity issue if a juror is sick. Or if you, you know, have 12 jurors and two alternates and three jurors test positive for COVID on set before they're even allowed to walk into the building. Now you only have 11 jurors. Now what do you do? And so you really want to, as best you can, manage your uh, risk and your exposure there. And so I said, well, is there, could this be a trial by judge? In other words, the evidence presented in front of the judge and the judge make the determination. And they said, sure, that, that would, 
yeah, that would still legally be a viable strategy. All right. So I got the lead on a, uh, uh, two federal judges and started the process of reaching out to them. I had three attorneys that were seemed really, really interested in doing this. Like they thought it would be really exciting to be able to try it kind of entertaining and would, uh, would allow them to go, you know, deeply into uh, clearly a story that to this day people believe is unsolved. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then I talked to one of the attorneys. I should stop and back up here for a second. If you want names of people, the people that were agreeable, maybe the people that weren't. If you want me to start throwing people under the bus and slander them in public, if you've got to, if you've got to know who they are, I'm not doing that. I thought about doing that. And then I thought, you know what? I don't really need that drama in my life. I'm going to tell you what happened. Some of the people you'll probably figure out who they are and that's, you can talk to them and let them answer for you. Some of the people you won't know. And if you don't believe anything I say, then what can I tell you? But what I'm telling you is I'm telling you the absolute truth of exactly what happened during the conception of this film, but I'm not going to throw a bunch of people under the bus. That'll be up to you to do. And some of you will probably do that gleefully, but it won't be me. So one of the attorneys uh, gave me the, the lead on the judges. We started having that and they said, okay, well, who's going to be the, <laughs> you know, who are we going to represent? And who are going to be the witnesses? And that's where this thing got really deep and became really interesting in a very, very short period of time. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you all about it on All Things Billy. We've got attorneys. We've got a courtroom. We're narrowing our focus on a retired federal judge to hear the case. Now we need some witnesses. And what I ultimately decided upon is that each attorney would have a, uh, let's call them a researcher slash expert witness. And for the people that have written to me about this, this is what you wanted. You wanted an expert in the story of Brushy Bill, an expert in the story of John Miller, an expert in, the, in Pat Garrett's story. And you wanted them, you wanted to give them the time to do the research, to dig up whatever, and it had to be legitimate evidence, by the way, whatever legitimate evidence that they could and present it via their, they would examine their expert witness on the stand. But... <laughs> the other attorneys would cross-examine the expert witness on the stand. So that's way, way different than you just getting to sit up there and say, well, here's what happened. Here's this piece of evidence. Here's, you know, what my guy did and said, and here's why it's true. And then, you know, step down and go, thank you very much. No, now you had skilled, practicing, real-world attorneys picking your story and your evidence apart under cross-examination. That's way, way different. 
So the first, uh, the first story I wanted to tackle was that of Pat Garrett. And who could sit in the chair? That's the term I always use. Who could sit in the chair and tell Pat Garrett's story and produce tangible real world evidence that could be accepted by a court of law. And you got to understand that we're way, way removed from the, these events of uh, July 14th, 1881. There is evidence that exists, but there's not that much of it. Contrary to all the people who, you know, insulted me online or the one guy that said a trial like this would take months to uh, present all the evidence. That's, that's not even close to true. That's a silly assertion. But anyway, so who could sit in the chair that would do that? And I came up with uh, a very well-respected author and researcher that I believed in uh, that could, could do that, that could faithfully recount Pat Garrett's story could introduce real tangible evidence that an attorney could question them about and would be able to be cross-examined by opposing uh, counsel to pick apart any holes in the story. I talked to this person, he, and he said, uh, no, no, no thanks, Michael. I talked to him on the phone. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to sit at some table with a bunch of people screaming back and forth. And, you know, that doesn't sound fun at all. And, uh, and, and I didn't really explain it very well, I realized. But we hung up and I said, well, okay, you know, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the call. And as I sat there, I thought, gosh, I did a really horrible job of explaining. This person thinks it's going to be this free-for-all like a... Uh, like a, a, a focus group or a bunch of a bunch of like a panel expert panel and people will scream over each other and call them names and you know oh you idiot i didn't explain that this would be held as if a real trial so i wrote him an email and i said hey i just want to be clear because i did i didn't do a very good job here this is actually what i'm asking you to do not this other thing that you're thinking about And I got an email back that said, hmm, well, that's, that's not what I understood. Let me think about it. And the very next day, I got an email from this author and researcher and said, I like it, actually. I'm in. I'll do it. I'll sit in the chair for Pat Garrett. So cool, right? I mean, you got, the, you got a person who's really an expert on that who's, you know, collected a lot of evidence and is willing to do it. <clears throat> One down, two to go. <clears throat> Pardon me. Next, I turn my attention to John Miller. And I know a couple people that I thought might be effective sitting in the John Miller chair and doing the research and digging up that evidence or having already done it. I got in touch with the first one 
via email. And this is a person with impeccable credentials. I mean, unimpeachable credentials as an, uh, a historian, an author, an expert researcher. And the immediate email I got back was no, no way, no chance. And there was a reason why. And it wasn't, I, don't, I think it's a terrible idea. It just was a reason why, which I'm not going to give away because I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, ruin the film for those that haven't seen it. But it was, Michael, here's why I won't do that. And it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your idea. I think it's cool, but I'm not doing it. So that was my first swing and a miss, you know. So up till then, I was batting a thousand, one for one. So I approached another person that I thought would be able to do an admirable job in the John Miller chair. And I got a, <laughs> I got a, if you can't find anybody else, if I'm available, and if it fits in, you know, with my schedule, then I'll do it. So that was, there was a pretty big question mark there as to, you know, is, do I have somebody here or not? Like you can't, you can't just walk by Miller. Uh, a year, maybe two years ago, I think it was sometime last year, I put a poll in one of the Billy the Kid Facebook groups. And I said, you know, based on what you know, which story do you believe? Pat Garrett killed Billy. Brushy Bill escaped Fort Sumner and was Billy. John Miller uh, was Billy and, you know, kind of flew under the radar. Or, you know, put in your own answer. And uh, about 60, 65% of the people, somewhere around there, no, about 60, I guess, said uh, Pat Garrett's story. About 30% of the people said Brushy. And I think it was 6 or 7% said Miller. And then the rest was everything else. You know, Billy was, uh, he went to Mexico. He was a girl and never, and whatever. So there's enough people that believed in the story of Miller. Dogs are going crazy. That believed in the story of Miller. That you had to, you had to present that evidence. You had to. And so I was struggling with, hmm, do I really have anybody here? And if I don't, who else could I possibly ask? And I did a lot of research for this film and I reached out to a lot of people and I came up with two names for Miller and no others. That's Jake in the background and he won't be quiet. So if if the first person says no, no chance, and the second person says maybe, but it has to fit all of, you know, kind of my schedule, my criteria, and even then, I'm not sure I'll do it, uh, that the trial was in in jeopardy. But I thought, okay, I can't, I've got a half of a yes. I got one and a half people in. I've got somebody in the Garrett chair, and I've got somebody halfway in the Miller chair. Now it's time to turn my attention to Brushy. And I reached out to 
I reached out via the brushy bill, uh, uh, not message boards, um, social media groups. I was a member of one of them. And I said, hey, who are the experts? Because I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on brushy bill. I know the story. I've read the books, but I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on any of these. I think we've already talked about that, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a pod show, uh, pod show podcast uh, host. Now, I'm not an expert or a historian. And I got four names. Four names came up time and time and time and time again. Three men, one woman. And I thought, well, okay, great. So where do I start? And I started at the top of the food chain, the most well-known person. I was in Van Zandt County. That's where my uh, Texas house is, and that's where uh, Brushy's from. I just remember I was there because I was I, when I talk on the phone, I pace around the house a lot or around my office. And I remember pacing for two hours talking to person number one, explaining the trial and, uh, you know, the, the kind of the format and asking them, would you be interested in doing it? And at the end of two hours, the answer was, yeah, I think I would. So now I'm thinking, all right, two and a half. Two and a half, I still got to lock down somebody for Miller, but I'm almost there. I've got to lock down the judge. I've got the attorneys. I've got a venue. And I've almost got three witnesses. Now, this is a good point for me to describe how the trial would have worked. And the answer to that is, I don't have the faintest damn idea. That's not exactly true. In other words, I wasn't drawing up the rules for the trial because I am not a, a judge, an attorney, nor a, any sort of legal professional. So what I told everybody, the attorneys, the witnesses, is here's what's going to happen. Once we've got everybody on board, I'm going to put you all together on a Zoom call. I'll just listen. But you collectively, attorneys, a judge, and witnesses, are going to determine how this trial will take place. You'll determine what evidence is admissible. You'll determine how, you know, what length of time each attorney has to present their case and how long cross-examination can take. You'll determine all that. I'll have nothing to do with it. All I'm going to do is get the crew in there to film it so when you have this trial, we capture it all. And this is exactly what a number of you asked for. This is an important piece to remember if you want to understand how this film came about, is that I had no say, never at any point did I say, hey, here's the way it's going to work, and that's it. I was going to have zero say in that. All I was going to be doing was funding it, putting up the money, filming it, editing it, putting it up. So... I got my two and a half people on board, start moving forward with pre-production and, uh, you know, we're locking down the location and then starting to talk about logistics. And then brushy witness number one backed out. Kind of unheralded, sent me an email, which I still have, that essentially said, mm, I'm out. Now, I'm not going to give you any reasons, and I'm not going to read you the email. But that was uh, disconcerting because that's the person that could have presented this, this story, Brushy's story and evidence. And two weeks after saying yes, 
He said no. Okay, so I get knocked back a peg. I'm at one and a half people. So I go to number two on my brushy list. And incidentally, I'm back in Texas. I'm not in Van Zandt County yet, but I'm driving to Texas and I'm close to Van Zandt County. I was at Bucky's. If you have ever been to a Bucky's, it's like a redneck target, but it's a, actually a gas station and convenience store. But the, the, the convenience store is as big as a target, maybe as big as a Walmart. And they got every redneck hick thing in there you can imagine, plus really good food. It's kind of crazy. If you see a Bucky's and you haven't stopped, you owe it to yourself to stop and pick me up a trucker cap or something because I always like to keep my bald head out of the sun. Okay. But I was uh, driving to Bucky's to get gas. And uh, now I've got uh, Brushy Bill expert number two, expert author historian number two. And uh, by the end of the hour and a half long conversation, and I'm on the receiving end of uh, basically a dissertation about Brushy Bill, but that person says, yes. Yes, just make sure you've read my book. So I order the book and I read it a couple of weeks later get back in touch with that person and say, hey, I've read it, ready to make a case. And at two weeks after saying yes, that person says, nah, I'm out. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. It was exactly the same time frame as the last one. Two weeks later, nope, I'm out. So then I go, all right, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? But I got two more brushy bill people. So I'm going to focus on them. The next one's a woman. I'm sitting in my house in Albuquerque one evening on a two-hour conversation. The one thing about brushy bill people is they really like to talk. Two hours of phone conversation about research, about the story, about other people, you know, other uh, 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 researchers and et cetera. And this person says, yes. Min. Sounds like fun. And I think, okay, good. This is it. I, I mean, you know, it can't happen three times in a row, can it? And then I got ghosted for two weeks, not a peep, not a sound. And then in one spectacularly long, uh, Facebook messenger message, well, guess what? I'm out. Strike three. And it was two weeks later. It's always two weeks. So now I'm going, th this is, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, by the way. I'm really not. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. But I'm thinking there's, there's something, something, somebody's working against me here. But I got one more name. And so I approached the last of the four brushy bill experts, the only people that could possibly sit in that witness chair in the world. And I go back and forth with number four for a little while. Uh, this is typed out, so it's not a long phone call, finally. And brushy bill expert number four says, yep, sounds fun, I'm in. <laughs> and then two weeks later, I get a long message that says, uh, I'm out. I couldn't effing believe it. 
I could not believe it. The four preeminent people in the world who can talk intelligently about the story of Brushy Bill Roberts and hope to prove that he was Billy the Kid, every one of them said yes, and then every one of them bowed out before the cameras ever rolled. I was dumbfounded. I went back to my brushy bill attorney who is, and again, I'm not giving you any names, but who is a preeminent nationally known criminal defense attorney. I mean, this guy has tried some of the highest profile cases that you've ever heard about in this area of the world anyway. And I said, I, I can't believe this. Nobody will sit in the chair. And he said, that shows you how strong they believe their evidence is. They don't mind telling you what it is, but they don't want to be cross-examined. The one thing I can tell you about the Miller witnesses was it was not for that reason that I was turned down. It wasn't a fear of cross-examination or anything like that. It was something different. And, you know, another month, two months, when more people have seen the film, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. But that was not the issue with Miller. Strike four. And there's nobody left standing. It's like, you know, you got four pins left to get a spare at the bowling alley. You knock them all down. There's no pins left. There's nothing to aim at. I don't know what that tells you. But I know what it tells the attorneys who both uh, the uh, the uh, uh, attorney for Pat Garrett said essentially the same thing. They shrugged their shoulders and said, they don't even believe their own story. They certainly don't believe it enough to have it stand up in court. So I was left floundering and the film was not going to happen. And then luckily a, a late night email, not email, a messenger conversation with executive producer Royd McCargish saved it. And I'll tell you how that happened right after this. We're back talking about the behind the scenes final trial of Billy the Kid. So before we left, we were dead in the water. Four brushy bill experts said they would do it. And then four brushy bill experts said they wouldn't do it. And they all gave their various reasons. And I'm not going to go into their, I'm not going to waste my time on that. So that was it. I told Roy, well, the, the trial's dead. We have, I mean, we can't do it. We don't have, there's nobody else. We're not going to, you know, create a brushy bill expert. Just, you know, go get some hayseed and give, <laughs> give him a book to read and say, here, sit, sit here and read the book. We're not doing that. We wanted real experts. And uh, the next, uh, after that conversation, Royd said, well, sleep on it. And I think it was the next day he messaged me. He said, just script the film and use actors. You know all the evidence anyway, Michael. You've been like living in this thing for a year now with this film. You know all the evidence that could be presented. 
so scripted. Yeah, maybe it's not the same uh, impact as, you know, real attorneys, but you'll probably get better performance from people. And then you really can have Pat Garrett and Brushy Bill and John Miller, uh, you know, standing there, sitting there and telling their story, which you know, from, from a movie standpoint, probably makes a better movie. And then it's not a documentary. I did, by the way, uh, here's a little bonus uh, insight. I had always intended to have an actor portray Billy the Kid. Now, if you've seen the film, you can see the flashback scenes. The actor portraying Billy is my son, Samuel. But that was done well after we wrapped filming in the courtroom. That was, uh, you know, something that I wanted to add in to reinforce each of the stories. But uh, I didn't have him in mind at that point. But I always had the intention of when the judge turns to the jury and says, have you reached a verdict that before the jury for person, oh, ably played by the lovely Kaysheri Rappaport, before she could say anything, you'd see this pair of boots coming up those marble steps like clunk, clunk. And you'd follow, you know, dusty, dirty boots in the pants and you'd see the Winchester hanging down and the back door of the courtroom would open and you'd just see from behind somebody say, so would you all decide? And then you'd come around and see the face of Billy the Kid. But, uh, you know, I, I, look, you got budgetary concerns. That's another actor. It's more COVID testing. It's more exposure. It's more stuff. It's more casting. Like just... It would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been cool enough for, you know, the the challenge it would have taken. And by the way, we didn't even know if we'd have enough time. We only got the, the courtroom for three days. So, so Royd says, script it. And then you can use those excerpts in the documentary exactly like you planned to. So I said, okay. And I got to work on writing the script for the final trial of Billy the Kid. And what I did was I, I started writing what I thought would be an abbreviated, you know, here's one page of script equals one minute on, uh, on film. That's just the way it works always. And so I thought, okay, we'll write, you know, 30 or 40 page script. And then that'll 30 or 40 minutes interspersed with, you know, we've got hours of these interviews already. So should be pretty easy, you know, to, to make this thing come to life that way. But I started writing the script and I just kept going. And then it was 60 pages and then it was 70 pages and then it was 75 and then it was 78. And there wasn't even a verdict in there yet. And all of a sudden I, I, I went back to Roy and said, I think this thing's too long. And so he read it over and he goes, well, it's, you know, it's a good story. I mean, it's a good script why, why would you not make the whole thing? And so that's the point we decided that this would be a film unto itself. And the documentary would, you know, take a back seat and, you know, be, it would become something else at some point else. And then I started casting. The very first person I reached out to is none other than Sheriff Pat Garrett, Kelly Kidd. And just like he'd done <laughs> years before, <laughs> Uh, before I even finished, he said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all the way in. And uh, then we, uh, you know, continued casting and, and we got just some, some great people. Uh, Royd had particularly wanted to act, acting is his, is his 
first passion. Um, and so uh, I offered him the role of Henry Walstead, attorney. Uh, Ryan Knudsen, uh, who, as I said, acted, uh, portrayed Doc Holliday in my other new film, 30 Seconds in Hell, and did just a wonderful take on Doc, really kind of lighthearted and funny, and uh, but deadly serious when he needed to be. Uh, I just, uh, I, I wrote the, the part of this Southern lawyer, this uh, fire and brimstone pulpit pounding Southern lawyer, Carvin Aldean. I wrote it with his voice in my head. It's so helpful for me to know in advance who the actor is going to be, because I can write to what I know they sound like and their mannerisms. And, and it I can almost see the film as I'm writing it. And so, uh, we cast, uh, Ryan as, uh, Carvin Aldean and uh, Brushy Bill was a challenge. It's tough uh, finding, you know, somebody that's going to play a, you know, historical character believably that people don't really know. I mean, people know Brushy Bill, but there's no, there's no videos, no movies of him. There's no home, you know, home recordings where you can, you know, listen to him talk and catch his mannerisms. Really, that had to come all from the actor. And Thomas Fears from uh, Denver, Colorado Springs, um, just nailed it in the audition. Uh, just did such a great job. I knew he was, you know, he was going to be the one. Uh, the judge was none other than the lovely Carla Kid, Kelly Kid's wife, who uh, talked very fondly about, <laughs> you know, being able to to boss. Sheriff Pat Garrett around in the courtroom. Um, people ask how many gavels did she break? She broke one. She had another one. We had another a third stunt gavel tucked away in, in the event that uh, in the event that we needed it. And then you know so on and so forth through the casting, we got some great jurors who uh, you know really added some flavor and character to the film. And uh, and so with, with casting done, location locked down, budget set, travel booked. Um, then we filled out the crew and we filmed. The entire film was made in three days, three days of filming at Amy Beale High School in the uh, second floor courtroom. And it was while they were on a break, uh, fall break, I guess it would be. It was September. They would have been back in school already. There was some some reason they were on a break. And we filmed three days from, I think call time was 7 a.m. And we wrapped every single day by five. If I'm wrong about that, somebody on the crew tell me, but I'm almost positive we wrap by five every day. Uh, I am not a believer in the way most films are made these days, where it, hopefully it's getting better, but where they shoot for you know, 14, 16, 18 hours a day. And it's not the actors, although background actors typically do. You know, so the uh, the supporting and lead actors can go to their trailer. They can relax. They may not even be called on set that day. But the crew has to be there every minute of every day. And I'm just not doing that to people. I believe in a in a you know, more humane shooting schedule. So three days to get the entire trial, and then at some point later, it was uh, probably a month, a couple weeks. We uh, we went up to tumbleweed ranch in rio rancho used to be owned by my friend earl waters uh, who built it and uh, earl got us in touch with the owners who bought the the home and the old west town from him and uh we got my son uh james blackburn and royd mccargish who stood in yet again and uh, we filmed those insert scenes that are you know the the night of july 14th 
Uh, all of those were filmed on my iPhone with a gimbal that uh, Carrie Brooks had lent me. A gimbal is, a, is a, a device that holds the phone so it smoothly moves so it doesn't jitter and shake. And uh, put some blue lights up to kind of represent the moon and shot as much stuff as I could. And then all of it was ably edited, edited together by John Broadhead. One hour, 22 minutes. Uh, John said, <laughs> I remember I would send him some notes back when we saw the early edits. I said, hey, you know, I wonder if we could fill this out or put this in. And at one point he said, Michael, every usable shot that I got from you is in that film. That's it. So there's no, there's no outtakes. Uh, I mean, there's probably outtakes, but there's nothing more. It's not like there's a director's cut that would be three hours long. And I don't think you want it to be. I mean, all of the film, other than those historical reenactments, takes place inside the courtroom in one room. And you can keep people engaged for about an hour and a half. If you have big celebrities or you have lots of special effects, you can go up to two hours, maybe a little more. And then if you have, you know, just an unbelievably compelling story and hundreds of millions of dollars like Top Gun Maverick, then you could go two hours and 12 minutes. But to get people to sit still that long is pretty tough. And most indie films hit right around an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, 30 seconds in hell, I think, is an hour and 37 minutes. And to me, uh, while I really enjoy the film, it plays a little long. You know, it's it, I, I think six or seven minutes less would have, you know, would have uh, probably helped the film. So an hour and 22 minutes. And so this is where people say, oh, well, you didn't put this evidence in and you didn't put that in and you didn't do this. And well, this is a film. It's entertainment and people have to want to watch it. There's not that many people that want to sit there, even Billy the Kid fans, and listen to two or three hours worth of boring, and then I went here, and here's this piece of paper that said I did this. Like, it's just unwatchable. And the one thing overall that we've gotten from all the early reviews are that people seem to really enjoy watching the film. N not just the, you know, the, the historical part, but it's an enjoyable film, and I, I think it is. I really am very proud of it. So go watch it if you haven't. And so that then is the story of how the final trial of Billy the Kid came about. Or how the real trial of what happened to Billy the Kid did not come about. Because all four experts in the story of Brushy Bill Roberts, noted authors, historians, researchers, lecturers, People that are very happy to tell you about the life and times of Brushy Bill, every single one of them, every single one of them backed out of doing this film. Every single one. Be back after this. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this journey behind the scenes. I'll repeat that you can see the film, Final Trial of Billy the Kid, on Amazon. Uh, people say it's on Amazon Prime Video. I've probably been guilty of saying that, but it's really not. A Prime, I think, indicates that you can watch the film for free if you're a Prime member, and you cannot do that. Amazon stopped taking almost all indie films for their free with Prime uh, offering 
and so they only allow them as a video on demand. Now that doesn't mean that might not change. And if the film does well and is reviewed well, it could wind up on Freevee. Have you heard of that? Freevee is the old IMDb TV, which is free and has a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say first run movies, but you know, movies that have been out for a shorter period of time that are very well known. So the key to making the jump to Freevee or any of these other Zumo or Tubi or those things is reviews. So you can help by going and watching the film and reviewing it right there on Amazon. You can certainly send it to me, but if you do it on Amazon, that's where it actually gains some traction. And uh, so I would, uh, I would greatly appreciate that because I'd like more people to, uh, to continue to see it. Um, I've, I've said that there were some other kind of big reveals and pieces of evidence, and uh, there are. But because those uh, lead to, I guess, what I would call spoilers, I am not at this point ready to uh, not ready to give uh, give any of that other evidence out. So another month or so, we'll talk more about Miller. We'll talk more about these other, uh, I guess, what you would call circumstantial evidence. So you can decide how uh, how much it plays into. Uh, kind of the overall uh, story that we're telling here. But yeah, there are some there are some more things to tell from behind the scenes at the final trial of Billy the Kid. Will there be another Billy the Kid movie from me? Well, there, uh, there will be the uh, Digging Billy documentary, the Billy the Kid tapes, whatever we call it, but not in the next few months. <laughs> yeah, I need a little space and distance from Billy the Kid movies. Uh, for now, and I'm already working on a new film in development called 2A. Um, and some of you probably could guess what that's about anyway. So uh, that's it for now. Oh, I wanted to clear up uh, something. I uh, I got some information I, from Steve Cedarwall. I got a picture. We were talking about Randy Gaharo's croquet photo, which I talked about a couple of uh, episodes ago, and the fact that... Uh, those trees in the photo have no leaves whatsoever. And this is supposed to be early in September. And I said, you know, I've never, ever, ever, ever seen, you know, New Mexico trees in the worst of droughts drop their leaves in early September. Steve uh, Cedarwall sent me a picture. He said, I just took it this morning. Look at that. And there's a tree and we're in June with no leaves on it. Now there's trees behind it that have leaves. And he, and I said, well, is that tree dead? And he said, yes. It's dead. It never, you know, this year it just never bloomed and that's it. It died. And it struck me that the trees in Randy's photo could be dead also. In fact, to me, that would be the only logical explanation is that those trees were dead because I don't think they dropped their leaves in September, but they easily, that grove of, you know, white oak trees could have just died and they're still standing there. So, I wanted to uh, clear that up. I don't know that that happened or didn't happen, but I wanted to uh, update or amend my uh, <laughs> my commentary from that. Now, uh, also, uh, from Brandon Dixon, our resident Billy the Kid expert, he had an update on the story of John Middleton. Uh, Middleton dying from, as, as has been the popular history, dying from the after effects of his wound. But 
Brandon Dixon says, uh, as far as Middleton, see the Silver City Enterprise, December 7th, 1882 issue from Middleton's death. He died of smallpox in Lorenzo, New Mexico, even confessed to a murder in Texas before he came to New Mexico, hoping a friend might claim the reward in Texas after his death. Uh, I believe there's a third version of his death as well. So Middleton had killed someone in Texas and uh, was was trying to have uh, <laughs> one of his friends, it sounds like, uh, discover it so that they could get the reward because he knew he was dying, I guess. And he dies of smallpox, according to the Silver City Enterprise, dies of smallpox in Lorenzo, New Mexico sometime before December 7th, 1882, which would put us just a, uh, about a month after the gunfight, month and a half after the gunfight at the OK Corral. wonder if he read about that in the newspaper before he went. So uh, did Middleton die in Kansas? Did he die as an after effect of gunshot wound from Buckshot Roberts? Did he die of smallpox? Yeah, I mean, the answer is we don't know. Does it really matter? No, doesn't make any difference to the story of John Middleton Regulator. But an interesting historical footnote. So, Brandon, thanks for that update. I appreciate whenever you, uh, all of you, set me right. <laughs> I, I appreciate it when you do it um, in a uh, <laughs> in a humane manner. Uh, some people, well, forget it. Anyway, look, we're done with this episode. You've got one big reveal. You've got two more to go. You're going to have to wait a little while. Go watch the final trial of Billy the Kid on Amazon Video or on Vimeo Worldwide. V i m e o dot com worldwide any country in the world you can watch the final trial of billy the kid and you can decide for yourself when the verdict is in what it means we'll catch you next time bye